1: Terms and conditions
2: apply. Welcome in to the New Orleans Pelicans podcast, the official podcast of your New Orleans Pelicans, a podcast dedicated to everything you need to know about the squad. Hear from players, coaches, broadcasters, and those who cover the NBA on a daily basis. It's time to flock up. The New Orleans Pelicans podcast starts right now.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the New Orleans Pelicans podcast. I'm Gus Kattengill with you. I'll be joined alongside with Jim Eichenhofer of NewOrleansPelicans.com. Pelicans coming into their final game of the month on a three-game losing streak. Last time they were on the court, it was against the Boston Celtics in Boston. Ah, they they had a 17-point lead in the game, that 11-point lead, and then in the fourth quarter, they just could not close. And it's been one of the things that's been an issue so far this season. First off, head coach
4: Willie Green overall on the defeat. Give them credit first. You know, they turned it up in the second half. Tatum, Brown, the rest of those guys, Derek White hit some big shots. Um, And that's what good teams do. They, you know, they know that We were being physical to start the game. They were missing some shots. They stuck with it. So give them credit. And then, you know, I loved our effort. I thought our effort, um, we executed well for maybe three and a half quarters of of the game. And um, we know our blind spots. We know that the last five minutes of a game, we have to execute better and get quality looks. We had a few turnovers there down the stretch. And, you know, that's where we have to grow. The key point
3: six turnovers in the game and that was an issue it's been an issue but six
4: turnovers coming in the fourth quarter head coach Willie Green uh, not a fan of that um I don't like the six turnovers at all um that's where we have to be more mature as a team come down execute get a quality shot our guys in the locker room they know that we've talked about it all season long so I'm not happy with that part um for three quarter three and a half quarters we look pretty good, and Boston turned it up. That's another area for us. Like when the game goes to another level, we have to meet that challenge, and uh, we fell a little short tonight.
3: All right, so Jim, as we bring you in here, obviously it, there was there was a lot of positives in that game. You win the first quarter. I thought Zion and BI looked really good in there. And then you saw a championship caliber team kind of step up to the case. And they did it the, the, the day right after too. They did it to the Pacers where they were trailing and wound up winning there as well. So how do you look at this game? Do you look at it as, hey, this is a situation where the the Celtics, you know, they're ready to compete for a championship, and the Bells are still kind of learning how to find their way to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's symbolic of what we've seen a lot this season with the Pelicans where there's two sides to the coin. On one hand, you see that they have the talent to have a double-figure lead over the Celtics in Boston in the fourth quarter. But then in clutch time, they're not able to make enough plays. And you mentioned the six turnovers. They also shot they shot 50% from the field in the fourth quarter, but they were 2-for-10 on threes. So that was another thing that was really damaging to their ability to hold on to that lead and then at the end to be able to make enough plays to win. So, I mean, it was good and bad. I thought, you know, you, you just con- you continually see the talent that this team has and the ability that they can play with a Boston team for 40 minutes or 45 minutes, but then at the end, you know, they're 6-10 they're and 10 now in clutch games, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure how many in a row losses it is, but it's several losses in a row in in the, the tight games, the clutch games. Uh, early in the season, I think they were right around 500, but now they're 6-10 and 10 in those situations, so something that they have to improve. No doubt. So we'll see if they do get a chance to do that here as well as
3: they will take on the Houston Rockets, and it's a team that has been a tough, tough matchup. Why has it been a tough matchup, you think?
0: <laughs> yeah, and by and speaking of clutch time, too, the, the losses to the Rockets were by three points and two points, so the, these were games also that came down to the end the game in Houston, I think, was for me was particularly frustrating because it was an in-season tournament game. The stakes were a little higher, and they had a lead in the last couple of minutes. They really only needed to make maybe one more play to win that game, and they weren't able to do it. Um, but back to your question, as far as the difficulty of this matchup, somehow the Rockets have really been able to get both of the games so far, much more to their style of play. The Pelicans are middle of the pack in pace across the NBA this season, but in the games against Houston it's been way slower games it's been way you know more low scoring kind of grudge matches kind of 90s basketball or early 2000s where you know it's harder to score and the pelicans aren't really able to get out and run which they want to do and just use some of their athleticism i think you know they're a more athletic team than Houston they're a deeper right. team than Houston but when you play these slow paced games i think sometimes you don't see that come out in the in the in the action because it's just more of like an ugly physical kind of game. So, Houston has been able to, and also Elper and Shangoon has averaged thirty point five points a game in the two matchups against New Orleans. So, I mean, he's just been really good, and I mean, he's been he's had a good a really good season. He's somebody that would be maybe an All Star contention in any other year or any other conference, but um, he's he's hurt the Pelicans a lot in these two losses that the Pelicans have had to Houston. Was- Let's not forget
3: too, as we saw in the other game. Uh, Dylan Brooks is one of those guys, too. Is he the new Draymond Green? Is he somebody you have to worry about in terms of knowing that at some point he's going to do something to kind of get under your skin? And he's sort of that energy level. He's kind of giving the Rockets an attitude, huh? Yeah,
0: he definitely has. I mean, one of the most impressive things about the improvement that they've made to me has been defensively. I think people that watched Houston play last season, the Pelicans won three of four against the Rockets last season. Their only win was on that Jabari Smith three-pointer in the final seconds of a game in Houston Um, they were just so disorganized and so just not fundamentally sound they were a bad defensive team they a lot of it was they didn't get back even which is like you know one of the first steps to being a good defensive team is you got to get back on defense and not get beat with transition scores and not being matched up so they did they really did not look like an NBA team last season in a lot of ways and this year in so many different categories they're so much better and I think Dylan Brooks that you mentioned and and Fred VanVleet as well. Those two guys have just made them a much more professional team and um, just more sound in a lot of different areas. As far as Dylan Brooks' stuff on the court, he is getting to the point where, you know, he's like, I wonder sometimes if he's starting to get in people's heads because you're starting to worry about some of the dirty stuff that he's done, some of the stuff that's just out of bounds. And I think the comparison to Draymond is pretty good from the – standpoint that you just watch him sometimes and you're like he he tried it looked like he tried to make that look like it was an accident but there's no way that 18 consecutive times where he's hit somebody in the face that they were all and you think about that before you even go into the game that's Mm -hmm. my point i mean i'm
3: watching and doing the show yesterday and nba today's has an entire segment it was Dylan Brooks, you know, doing this by accident or not? And, and, and there it is, you know, it's him coming across LeBron's shoulder and, he you know, and LeBron's down on the floor and all of that. So you do go into it kind of knowing that. But I, I think that's the thing that I've I've seen with Houston this year. And especially they had a hot start at the beginning of the season. But it's just more of, of that nature of, hey, this is what they're going to try to bring. They're going to try to do that. And Mayo Daca, when he was with the Celtics, that was a very tough, defensive minded team. And so I, I do think that that's. Something to pay attention to today.
0: He's done a great coaching job. I think if there weren't so many other really good coaching jobs, he'd probably be a guy that people would say, you know, this guy could win coach of the year. But he's done incredible. I mean, they won 22 games all of last season and they have 22 wins right now with 30 plus games left in the season. So and they're also I don't think they were a team going into the season that people thought like, yeah, this is a play in team. But if they win tonight, which, you know, obviously we hope they don't, but if they win tonight, they're in ninth place. They're ahead of Utah and the Lakers with a victory. So, I mean, that's a credit to the the work that he's done as a coach and just the improvement across the board that they've made in so many areas. All right, Tom, now to welcome in our guest, a very special guest.
3: I love me some Ali Cosell. The way you spell it, it's O-L-E-H-K-O-S-E-L.
0: Jim, did you know that if I gave you a spelling bee, would you know how to spell Ali Cosell? I think I would only because I've written it down a few times in a, in preparation for h- having him as a guest. I as well... Love myself some Ali Cosell, so very happy to see him and talk to him today.
1: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
2: And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win.
0: Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
3: that, I spelled it on purpose because that's how you go give a follow over there on X. Longtime Pelicans beat writer and covers the NBA as well. Here to help give us perspective. I had Ali on the show earlier this week to talk about that, to help give me perspective. I knew this was going to be a tough month, Ali. I knew you were going to face some of the top players in the NBA. You were going to face some of the top teams in the NBA. That said, here we are with one game left in the month and you're seven and seven. How do you look at this month so far?
5: It's funny you brought this up because that's where I was going to start this show today. You asked me at the start of this month, what would you be happy with? right? Because this looked like this was going to be the toughest month of the year for the pelicans Mm -hmm. and i I think we both agreed right just getting to eight and seven that would have been good now granted they've had maybe a loss or two that either you're not happy with or maybe that they should have won right there's that's still a problem but for the most part yeah you'll take this right if it's the toughest month and you've got a good chance right to finish over 500 i I think you got to be happy with it
0: so give me i mean based on your answer just there you kind of hinted at this but i was kind of wondering what you're on a scale of 1 to 10 what is your concern level your concern meter right now with 1 being you know you're sitting back on a on a beach in a hammock and 10 being it's the apocalypse right now for the season and that the fate of everything is at stake where are you right now on that scale
5: uh, probably like a 2 or a 3 i mean yeah. there's obviously some problems and i'm sure we're going to delve into them like clutch time minutes like being able to compete against the the better teams, right? Maybe more so the elite teams in the league. But really, the Pelicans have taken a step forward from last season. And everybody knows you don't go from suddenly being, what, a 9 or a 10 seed, jumping all the way up to being a championship contender, right, mm-hmm. where you're a 1, 2, or a 3 seed. I know there's exceptions, and I know Gus brought up the thunder, but that's the rarity. Mm-hmm. So they look to be taking that step for me, right? We've seen 45 games. The offense has steadily been improving. The defense has largely been there. The talent is obvious, right? Sure. Willie can't even play certain guys like Jose Alvarado and stuff. So, yeah, for the most part, if you can just iron out clutch time, minutes, figure out how to make Brandon Zion and CG more effective, especially in those crucial moments, that'll go a long way for this team.
0: You mentioned clutch time a couple times. I want you to put your Coach Cosell hat on and <laughs> tell me what are some either some of your solutions to how they can play better, In clutch time, or what are some of the specific things that you want to start seeing them do better in in that part of the game?
5: I think without a doubt, it has to be execution, right? You watch teams that have been together for a few seasons, the cores, like we just saw Boston and how they closed out. They look like they knew what they wanted to get out of every possession. Mm -hmm. So, yes, they've added Drew Holiday, uh, Chris Epps Porzingis, who didn't play, but obviously they've had a really good go of it so far this year, right, being the top team in the league and having only two losses at home. So they're obviously all on the same page. That's where the Pelicans, you know, I mean, most of the reasons I feel like the clutch time losses happen also is because they give up a double-digit lead. And remember, they were leading Boston by 10 10 points, I wanna say, 10 or more points. So that's been kind of a theme this year to where they get off to largely good starts and they can build leads, but they seem to relinquish them. And then for whatever reason, clutch time is also a problem. So like I said, it's execution. You can't have turnovers. And right now, they're one of the worst teams turning the ball over in those key moments. Suddenly, the open shots aren't going in either, guys. And that's a problem because that stems to confidence for me. But largely, I want to see B.I., C.J., and Zion somehow be able to lift up the entire team. So not only are they going to get good shots for themselves, but get open looks for the other team. So like when Tatum's coming down the court, he's going to try and take his man. He's going to try and get a mismatch. We saw that. But if he doesn't have it, he's trusting Derek White who started one for nine, but finished five for five, right? He he was the guy that swung the tide. I felt like in the fourth quarter. So Pelicans have to figure out a way. And I think that's why we've heard Willie so often this year, bring up the word trust, right? How important it is. And we've seen it against, you know, lesser competition where things are going well, the trust is there. The ball's hopping shots are going in, but they've got, for whatever reason, got to get over that hump. And I think, yes, you could probably bring bring in a player, look through a trade market, but, If you believe in this count and you want to have B.I. and Z have the ball in their hands to finish games, then they're going to have to figure it out. And you still got almost half the season to do that.
0: You mentioned just now B.I. and Z. You know, this is the time of the season where we start to hear and get a lot of the announcements that are related to All-Star weekend, whether it's the All-Star game itself or, you know, the Rising Stars, which we'll get into in a second. But what are your expectations for tomorrow in terms of All-Star reserves. Do you think that the Pelicans have a chance to get one of those guys in the game? And and how do you kind of view that situation?
5: Yeah, that's tough because had they stayed maybe like four or five, somewhere closer inside that top six, you could have made a stronger argument. And also the fact that not one player has really separated himself right above the sure. rest. Mm-hmm. The stat lines look similar. It, it, no, it, it's difficult to imagine, Jim. I thought if I had to pick somebody, I would have gone with CJ. Had he gotten to that 20 point plateau, and I looked at previous histories where players have shot or hit 20 points, I think four or five rebounds, four or five assists, and about 45% from the field and from three. Almost every single one of those guys, Jim, have made the All-Star game. But that's, he's not there. Pels aren't there.
0: That's inter- That's an interesting point as far as the cutoff. I, I agree with what you said, too, uh, as far as there's a certain level in the standings that you reach where people look around and say, man, we have to have a – there has to be an all-star from this team because they're third place or they're fourth place, and right now they're in eighth. But obviously, it's very close. They can easily move up a couple spots soon. But it's still not at that point where you kind of are putting pressure on the coaches in this case, where they vote for reserves to say when they fill out their ballot, like, "Oh man, we I I know I don't necessarily see a a standout clear-cut guy from the Pelicans, but they have to have somebody in that group." So. I mean, I, in all of the predictions I've seen, too, I haven't seen any Pelicans um, mentioned, so I, I'm not expecting them to have someone. But I actually think it's okay, and this is something we talked about a little bit before and probably something we'll get into further down the road. To me, it's about – it's kind of a sequence now for from a big-picture standpoint as far as they – they if they start making the playoffs every year, you'll start to have guys make the All-Star game automatically, even if they are in sixth or seventh place in a given season. So to me it's 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 like that's the first step now in, in terms of the team success and accomplishments have to come first now before the individual stuff does. I feel like they're at the point now from the league's perspective as they view this team as we're not going to give them a ton of individual recognition until they become a team that is winning in the neighborhood of 50 games a year or is a team that's in the playoffs every year, not making it one year, missing it the next so on and so forth. So I'm I'm with you 100% on that one. Um in terms of another All-Star weekend deal, the Rising Stars announcement was yesterday and Jordan Hawkins and Dyson Daniels were both selected among the participants to that game. What did you, what was your reaction to that announcement of them being picked for that game or for that tournament, I guess it is?
5: Yeah, so deserving that's the easiest word you can pick out for both of these players, right? We know what Dyson brings to the table. He's one of the most elite defenders, I think, in the league already, right? Just his second season. He showed what he could do last year, of course. But I feel like he's taken another step forward to where we're seeing where Willie's trusting him. So even though the offense isn't always there, right? He struggled kind of maybe getting the shots up, right? He doesn't always look for his shot. Let's put it that way. And it, it, it's, it it's holding him back a little bit. But like I said, you can't uh, – you know, you can't overlook what else he's everything else he's doing on the court. So it's not just the defense. His tenacity in, in rebounding, uh, making plays for others. Almost every other box is checked, right? So he's a very deserving, right, second-year guy getting into that game. Uh, Jordan, that's a no-brainer, right? He's leading the league among rookies in three-pointers uh, three made. So he hasn't had the most consistent of roles, but he's easily been one of the top ten rookies all season. So, yeah shooting's at a premium, right? That's always probably the most valued skill if you were to ask any fan today. And Jordan can do that. And over this last month, during the month of January, he's shooting lights out, guys. I mean, I, I looked, was it over just over 45% from three? So he's doing what he's asked, you know, being asked to do largely within the framework of the offense. And I don't know, I could probably couldn't list probably 10 guys on both my hands that carry as much confidence, right, as Jordan. And it's so impressive, right? He's doing it his first year. So yeah, I'm happy to see him.
3: I want to throw in a little caveat for you guys on here. I'm going to go like, uh, I guess, like first take here. I'm going to go scream an A for you. Uh oh. You guys were talking about the all-star and and not having that. And I agree with you guys, right? I mean, when you look at some of the other guys that have been playing and you even look at Ali, we talked about OKC, SGA. I mean, he's a starter this year and what that team's been able to do. So let me ask you both this, right? I'm going to go first take here. A little Chiron on the bottom goes, is it a problem that the Pelicans don't have an all-star player or do they need? an all-star player to take that next step? Or is it based off of this offense?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. I think you honestly do need to have somebody, right? So they've got candidates, especially, namely, you're looking at Zion and BI. And there's still a reasonable chance, right? Zion's told us he's not 100%, right, all season. Last time he was asking about that was about a week ago. He said 88%. Yeah,
0: Yeah. 88, 89,
5: 90. He was in that (laughs) range. So, you almost have to take him for his word on that. We saw, right? He was an MVP caliber type of player for about six weeks last year, right? He was in the news about it. We were asking Doc Rivers about it. A lot of multiple coaches were even saying his name. So we know what level he can play at, but he's he's not there yet. Same thing with Brandon. And I feel like with Brandon more so, I think he's kind of taken a step back in terms of shot attempts being as aggressive because he's trying to involve the rest of his teammates more. And sure. so – Yeah, so that's obviously going to take him out of that running because, you know, when you think of All-Stars, you're thinking guys well over 20 points per game. And right now, Brandon doesn't seem to have that mindset. So, yeah, as we said, nobody clear-cut, but I think in the future there can be. It all depends on how this roster comes together, guys. I mean, let's face it. Does Zeke' health get better? Do they take away some pieces either at the trade deadline or over the summer to where B.I. is going to be in that kind of scoring mentality again, 16, 18 shots a game? We don't know, but the, the, the potential is there, right?
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Ali, in terms of Gus's question. I mean, to me, there's kind of two sides to it. Um, one, I, I do think that it is important that they have someone ascend to the all-star level. And I think, like you said, Zion is the most likely candidate because what we saw last season, his upside is just so high. I mean, when he's at his best, I mean, heck, he's been an all-star already twice, even though both of those seasons, he only played a basically a portion of this of the season. So um, the, the fact that he's been able to do that already tells me that it won't take a lot. And maybe just all it takes is him getting from the eighty-eight 90% 90% to the to 100% are very close to that, and he will be an all-star. Um, the other side of of the discussion to me, though, is I do think it's very possible that there will be a team or two in the Western Conference that is dangerous and goes deep in the playoffs and is a threat. And then when you look back at February, you say, man, they didn't have any all-stars because just from the simple fact that if you look at the competition and you look at the talent, I think a lot of people, without if you just look at it just from a without actually researching it and looking through the list of players, you say, yeah, Zion's an all-star. Yeah, Brandon Ingram's an all-star. But then when you actually look through the list and you realize that how many guys, you know, I've heard people make the argument in recent years that the all-star roster should be more than 12 players. And I think if you look at this year's Western Conference, it's like this is one of the best cases ever for why they should expand it beyond just a dozen guys because there's going to be – tomorrow night when they announce the reserves, I guarantee you, I mean, not that this is a brand new thing, but there's going to be multiple players who people are like, wait, wait, that guy's not an all-star? After the year that he's had and after the first half of the season that this guy has had, I mean, so, I mean, look at Sacramento, which is a team that has roughly the same record as New Orleans, and people, I think a lot of people are debating, like, they they go into the discussion saying, like, oh, yeah, Fox and Sabonis are definitely all-stars, but when you actually go through the list and see who needs to be excluded, it's I feel like a lot of people have said, man, it's tough to even get both of those guys on the roster. So um, it's important to kind of wrap it up, sum it up with my feelings. It's important to have someone to extend to that level. But, I mean, I I actually think that you can be a very good team in the Western Conference and be a threat in the postseason and not have an all-star guy picked.
5: Yeah, Jim, there's been teams like that in history, right? Mm -hmm. And I look at the Detroit Pistons. Right, even though some of those guys were all stars previously, but when was it? Chauncey got together, Rip, Rasheed Wallace, they had Ben Wallace, all those guys. They weren't in there for the all star bids, right? I don't know if they even made it together that season. They won it all, but Mm -hmm. that's yeah. There's teams been to your point like that that can win a bunch of games, go deep in the playoffs without having that guy.
0: And specifically to this Pelicans team too, I think that the 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 big three they somewhat. I don't mean this in a negative way, but they somewhat suppress each other's stats because there's three offensive threats that are very primary guys. I mean, if you take one or two of those guys out of the mix for the over the course of the whole season, if Brandon Ingram is averaging 22, 23 points a game, all of a sudden his average is going to be 27 or 28, and people are going to look at the stats and say, like, oh, how much better of a season has Ingram had because he's averaged so many more points? But it's really just the fact that there's – two other guys around him that are so good, that makes it hard for any one guy to really stand out. And I don't think that's a negative as far as having three players that can all, you know, average 20 points a game. It's just, that's just the way this setup, you know, I would love to be able to compare this team someday to the 04 Pistons, you know, some of the players that you mentioned. Um, but I, you know, obviously they're not, they're not there yet, but this is mm-hmm. the way this team is built is much more similar to that in terms of, It's not one guy that puts up huge numbers. There's a bunch of teams in the NBA. I mean, the Mavs are one example, although they do have Kyrie as well. But, I mean, teams that have a guy that can go for 60 or 70 points, but on a lot of nights, if he has a bad game or, you know, the top two guys don't have huge nights, you're in big trouble because you just don't have enough depth around those guys. So, obviously, that's not the case at all with the Pelicans. It's just the, the way that this team is set up is different from that.
5: Yeah, and it's the way they approach the games, right? That's that's the thing I look at because you just mentioned the three top scorers. I think Zion, B.I., and C.J. could honestly all average together more points per game. Mm-hmm. Look at what Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker are doing. But, of course, you're taking shots away from the rest of the guys. Of course, sure. you're basically playing iso ball or pick and rolls and just looking for your own. And, and that's largely what they do. Unless they have a wide-open kickout, those guys are always trying to score. So that's why I, I'm actually – I like – the system that's here that the guys are actually in tune with it and following it because suddenly Trey's getting opportunities. Jordan, we're seeing Herb mm-hmm. right stand out. <laughs> and then you've got you got Jonas. We never even talk about Jonas, it seems like yeah. when we talk about this scoring team. But here's the best example. Helicans put up a franchise record 153 points the other night. The leading score was 33 points if I if I'm not mistaken by CJ. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That That's a clear delineation of just how the Pelicans play and want to play. And when they're at their best, that's what you should expect to see.
3: Ali, my final thing for you here as well is obviously there's going to be so much attention going into next week's trade deadline with other teams here as well. So LeBron posted an emoji of an hourglass. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> um, uh, maybe the next time we have you on, we'll ask you what emoji would you post, you know, uh, to describe <laughs> this team or not. But I think what's interesting is, I don't know what other teams are going to do. I don't know what the Pels are going to do. I brought this up to Jim earlier, I think, this week on the podcast, if not the end of last week. When I look at the standings, Ollie, what's interesting is there's so many teams jumbled and close Mm -hmm. that I almost don't know – what you go do for a lot of those other teams, right? To to go get, it. and I mean, like for the Suns, it was just you got to get those three guys together. You still got Steph in them, you know. When you're looking at Golden State, I mean, the top three, four teams in the West, it's they're they've been pretty consistent with what they do. I, I don't know if OKC needs anything or Minnesota. You know, it's plus here's the other element of it when you look at the East. I mean, the Knicks, what they think they were 14 and two in the month of yeah. of, of, of January here as well. I mean. What do they sort of need? Is probably need Julius Randle get back. I I don't know if I'm going to see. I guess what I'm getting at Ali Woj bombs or mm-hmm. you know him and Sham going back and forth with a bunch of big names being moved. Do you expect next week and the trade deadline to be more about pieces, rebounder, or three point shooter, a defender, as opposed to oh my gosh, look at these franchise players moving names and moving franchises.
5: Yeah. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm expecting. Look, first you have to just look at the names that are already being mentioned. And the biggest names seem to be DeJounte Murray, um, Zach Levine, right? Those players, DeAngelo Russell. No more Kyrie Irving, right? And, and certain other players. Good point. So that's the one point. The other thing you have to look at, of course, is exactly what you said. All the teams that have made the major moves uh, are largely doing well. So outside of maybe Atlanta, outside of Golden State, and really, with Golden State, it's hard to see that they're going to split that team up, right? It would take sure. something seismic, I feel like. So they're not going to give up on Steph, Draymond, Clay. So when you look past them, there's really nobody left, right? So no disgruntled superstars. And, and that's a good thing. I'm enjoying it's, this, by the way, for the first time point. in a while. It's long a good time. point. So no, no, it's going to be teams still trying to figure out what they need around the edges. And for the Pelicans, I mean, look, we just talked about what are the issues? Majorly clutch time, right? Crucial moments. So can you get a leader, right? Another leader on his team maybe at the point guard position. I know that right center is not ironed out for the long term, but otherwise, no, you, you're not going to see these teams that have done largely well, taking the next step this season from last and all of a sudden do a seismic change. And I think you have to include the Pelicans in that group.
3: Because it kind of just show the strength of the league, doesn't it guys that like you don't have a lot of disgruntled players or guys that want to leave and are openly doing that. Like we saw with the nets last year and things of that nature. So, that, that is good, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm just making sure that we don't have a new emoji for the Lakers with LeBron <laughs> over here, He's making sure. Anyway, Ali Cosell, as always, uh, enjoy the coverage, man. Enjoy the time at O-L-E-H-K-O-S-E-L. That is the way to go give a follow to Mr. Ali Cosell over there on X and, of course, across all the other social media platforms. Thank you for your time, man.
5: Absolutely. Thanks, guys. And look, for all those Pels fans that got a little worried over the three-game losing streak, look at the next upcoming eight games. A lot of winnable games where they could run off six of eight because they're facing the East, a lot of lesser competition.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's something I I think it's it's changed maybe now, but as of going into this road trip, they had played the least games against the East, so that's something that we're definitely going to monitor. I mean, just because the East is weaker than the West doesn't mean you're going to reel off a ton of wins, but hopefully they'll able to do they're able to do that and 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 on paper like you said they just went through the toughest january i think in the league opponent wise and Mm -hmm. the second half of the season is a lot more manageable now it's just a matter of they have to take advantage of that
5: yes stay healthy why not
0: that's true and that's something
3: they've been able to do zions played 38 games out of what 47 so it's you know better than not Go ahead, knock on wood everybody knock on wood real quick (laughs) holly cosell as always i appreciate it thank you so much bud
5: all right guys i'll talk to you soon
3: thanks holly All right. Our thanks to Ali Kosell for kind of going over some of the things that are going to be talked about here the next couple of days, especially when it comes to the All-Star break, All-Star weekend, trade deadline next Thursday. What are some of the teams are going to do all
0: of that? But it is Western Conference Wednesday, which means what, Jim? It means it's time to look at the team to watch. And first, before I get into the team to watch this week, which is the Dallas Mavericks, I want to go back to last week. It was the Phoenix Suns. That was the squad that I picked. And at the time, they were on a six-game winning streak. They did win that night last Wednesday at Dallas by 23, which was a really good victory. But the curse of the team to watch kicked in at that point, And they lost at Indiana by two on Friday, at Orlando by 15 on Sunday. They did win at Miami in their most recent game by 13. But, I mean, they lost two games over the weekend where Devin Booker, one of them, he had 62 points. A game against Orlando, I think he had 44 or 45. So when you get one of your players scoring over 100 points over a two-game span, but you still lose both of those games, that's pretty tough. Um, right now, the Suns are 27-20, and 20, which is one game ahead of the Pelicans. So curious to see how the rest of the season goes, whether the Pelicans can kind of hang with them in the standings. For a while there, it looked like the Suns were going to take off and really kind of create a bunch of separation between themselves and a few of the other teams that are... In this tier of the standings, when I say that, I mean you know Sacramento, Dallas, and the Pelicans. But right now, it's still pretty close. Uh, the Suns also have three more games on this seven-game road trip. They have Brooklyn, which is an ABC game tonight at Atlanta and at Washington. So, going to continue to watch them and see if the Pelicans can you know stay right there with right. them in the standings. But team to watch this week over the next seven days is the Dallas Mavericks. They are 26 and 21, which is the exact same record that the Pelicans have right now. They have this the upper hand in the standings because of the tiebreaker, which is going to be division record since the Mavs and Pels went two and two against each other. Um the reason one of the reasons I picked the Mavericks for this week coming up is their schedule is very difficult. They're at Minnesota tonight, you know, best team in the Western Conference. They're home on Saturday against Milwaukee, mm-hmm. second best team in the East. And then on Monday, they're at Philadelphia, which is also a you know top four, top five team in the East. So pretty similar to what the Pelicans actually just went through with a three-game losing streak where they're playing some of the best teams in the league. Uh, the Mavericks close out this next seven-day span at Brooklyn on Tuesday, which I believe is a TNT national game. But before that, they're playing you know some really quality teams. So I'll be curious between now and next Wednesday when we meet again, whether the Pelicans have moved ahead of them in the standings because it's going to be very difficult for the Mavericks to do well against Timberwolves, Bucks, 76ers in a three-game stretch. Well, Jim,
3: as always, thank you for joining us here, man. Appreciate the time.
0: Thanks, Gus. And you know, one quick thing I wanted to throw in. I want to start doing this every week. You know, we don't have a good term for yet for what the 9 and 10 spots in the play-in race are. I want to start calling them calling that the play-in danger zone. So as part of Western Conference Wednesday, I want to be able to update that in terms of where the Pelicans are. Right now, they're three games ahead of ninth and 10th, which is the, as I have described it, the the play in danger zone. Uh, They're three and a half games ahead of Houston, which is in 11th place right now, which is another reason why tonight's game is important so that they can, you know, you win your four and a half games ahead of the Rockets, you lose your, it's down to two and a half. So we'll keep checking in on throughout the course of the season to see if we can get to the point where we, where the Pelicans meet, one of your goals and your hopes and dreams of not having it come down to March and April in terms of you know making the play-in and being ahead of that ninth spot, which is very key. The difference between eighth and ninth, yeah. we've said it before, is just so huge in It'd terms be nice. of your chances really nice. to win a game or yeah. just one. I'm hoping that happens.
3: I'm hoping that happens. Yeah. Anyway, too. Jim, as always, man, appreciate it. At Jim Ikenhoffer, at Jim underscore Eichenhofer is the way to follow over there on X. I'm Gus Cattingell. That's Jim Eichenhofer, as always. Appreciate the time. We'll see you on Friday on the New Orleans Pelicans podcast.
2: Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Pelicans podcast. Join us three times per week on Pelicans.com, the Pelicans mobile app, the iHeartRadio app, or where you get your podcast. And be sure to give Jim and Gus a follow on X at Jim underscore I can offer and GCAT underscore 17. We'll see you next time, right here on the New Orleans Pelicans Podcast.